morning, Door Creek. For any of you guests here today, a special welcome to you. My name's Mark, one of the pastors. It's good to have you here. So I tutor over at Shank Elementary, right? Fifth grade math. I, 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 I've got a degree in proficiency up to fifth grade. Um, and so my sweet little fifth grade girl and I, we've been together for two years working on math, and we've been doing story problems. So when we do a story problem, we read it, and then I ask her, so what kind of a math problem is this? Is this multiplication? Is this about division? Is this about addition? Is it about subtraction? So we're working that out, trying to figure it out. When it comes to giving, I'm convinced that our quick assessment of the story problem is this is, this is a math problem that deals with subtraction. It's what I give away. That's kind of our thinking. And I'd like to suggest that we understand giving to be actually about addition. Not just what we bring to the further work of God's kingdom here and around the world, but actually what God gives to us. One of the things we say often here, giving is not a matter of what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. And when it comes to growth spiritually, there's nothing like trusting God with your finances. So we're coming to the end of all in. The growth and generosity in this place has been historic. In our history, year, 50 year history, we've never seen growth of giving like we have in the last two years. It's unbelievable. It's like over 50%. So in two weeks, I'll tell you what the exact percentage was. Um, and yet we find ourselves two weeks to the end with like a real challenge. And when you saw 400 crossed out, that's not, that wasn't like the truck used to cost 400,000. This week it's only 270. No, that's to remind you of a goal, right? So at the beginning of the month, 400. The first two weeks offering gets us to 130,000. So we got 270 left. Next week you'll know as you come in what we have the balance of. And so this is the time to pray. And this is the time to really understand this, just so you get it. So it's just not about finishing all in well. It's actually about moving forward with the things that God has called us to. And so, I mean, we have had phenomenal giving, but we're still short. So here's what we've had to do. It's been hard. We've had to cut out $400,000 of our budget plans for the next six months. That means staff positions have been cut. Hours have been reduced. Benefits have been clipped back. Partnerships with international partners have been reduced. Man, we hate to do that. But we need to steward God's money well here, which means we can't spend more than we have. So when we say 400000 it, it's like it's not like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? No, we really, really need this, okay, to be able to finish strong and continue to move ahead. There are some exciting things right around the corner that still are unfinished projects from all in that I'm so excited for us to get to, but we've got to finish strong. And so as you do, I want you to hear this story because it was so encouraging to receive this past week. A friend wrote this note because we're getting these all-in stories, right? He said this in January. I was doing a study on 2 Corinthians and was reminded how God wants us to be generous even during challenging times. I felt the Lord speak to me and tell me, you're thankful but not generous. Working three jobs right now. Did you hear that? Working three jobs right now, I'm not generous with my finances. So my wife and I talked about it, and we decided to contribute to All In for the first time 
beyond our regular tithe. Hello, that's 10%. I'm thinking, dude, you're doing great. But he's responding to God's word. He says, on Sunday morning at church, I remember cupping the giving check in my hand and saying, God, this is my worship. Three days later, I was working my job at the used car lot. I tied the record of sales that day. My commission check, he writes, was exactly three times what I put in to the all-in offering. God used the situation to teach me to trust him more and to be generous and give. There's never a time to be tight-fisted, and I'll always remember the story of God's generosity. So I, I long for us as a church to grow in this understanding of God will never let you down. He, he won't. And I know this money thing is a weird thing. And some of you just go, get to the sermon. I don't like you talking about money. This is about the sermon. This is about our hearts. It's not what Door Creek needs. It's not what God needs. It's what he wants you to experience. A wholehearted commitment that involves even our money and finding God to be enough and more than enough. I so want you to know that and experience that. So next week we'll find out. We'll have a big give offering here in the services. And it's good to be trusting God together and being moved towards greater generosity. So thanks. So grab your Bible. Luke chapter 10 is where we're at as we head back into Luke's gospel. As you're turning there, the story in chapter 10 is he's going to send 72 of his followers out on a missions trip. Like the 12 that he sent out in chapter 9, he's giving him authority and power to cast out demons, to heal people, and to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the promised king who's come to restore all things. Jesus made it clear in chapter 9 that he's heading to Jerusalem. There's no turning back. That's his destination. That's his destiny, to die on a cross. He tells about his sufferings. They don't get it. He tells them, if you're going to follow me, you too have to pick up your cross. You've got to deny yourself. And there's no turning back. So he just told them all these things. And the 72, having heard all the hard things that are involved, the cost of discipleship, they still have their hands raised. And they're going, pick me. Pick me. And he's picking them and he's pairing them. And these are the instructions they would have heard. Verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. 
For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. All right, now this is, this is like 2,000-year-old instructions. And this is one of those places you get in the Bible and you go, so what in the world do you do with something that he gave to these guys? Because remember what we say, the Bible was not written to us. It's for us. But it was written to this guy named Theophilus. It was written to the audience of the first century. So what in the world are we to do with this? Well, man, there's a ton we can do with this as we understand that fundamentally... This truth, this is like a basic, but we don't want to miss it. If we call ourselves a Christ follower, but we're not on the go following Christ, moving with him in mission, we really aren't a Christ follower. Christ followers are set. Christ followers move with Christ for Christ, pursuing his mission in this world. And it's easy to say, oh, I'm following Christ, and it's this. We've got to look at our feet. Are we really following Christ as he defines discipleship? And these instructions, and there's three that I'm going to point out, will help us know, am I in the game, so to speak? Or am I just parked on the curb watching the parade? Am I up in the stands? Am I a spectator? Is this just about this up here, intellectual ascent? Or actually has it gripped my heart? Is it changing my will? Is it moving out by God's grace into action? So there's three instructions, there's three expectations, and there's one surprising perspective that gives us a fundamental truth to remember, all right? So let's go through the instructions. The first instruction is travel together and travel light. He pairs them off, not one by one. He doesn't send them off one by one. He pairs them off two by two. We are better together. Ministry is done in partnership. Now, to be true, sometimes it's just plain easier, isn't it, to get things done by myself. You, you say this all the time at home or, you know, with your sweet mates or, or in the office, right? Uh, it's, I'll just do it myself. It'll be quicker. It's less complicated. There's very little room for miscommunication when you're just dealing with yourself. I love that about being a Lone Ranger. We understand each other most of the time. That's good, right? So there's less headaches. We don't have to deal with the people problems and the complexities. And it's so slow sometimes. And, and I know how I like it to get done, right? So it's just easier this way. Now, think about this. If there was anybody who could have pulled the Lone Ranger card, who was it? Jesus. Oh, my word. Like, he has a full package, full knowledge, full power, full love. He knows everything that needs to be done, and he can do everything that needs to be done. If anybody could have pulled a Lone Ranger card, it was Jesus, but he didn't. And isn't it interesting that he ends his life saying to the Father, I've accomplished everything you've called me to do. But in the midst of accomplishing his mission, he has deputized his followers, including you and me, to continue in this world, his work in this world as his hands and feet. Working together, traveling together. Oh man, when you think about it, less chance of being discouraged, less chance of burnout, giving up, losing our way, thinking it's just about us, getting trapped into this 
place of maybe just pretending that we really are doing these things. Travel together. And travel, travel light. So there's a sense where he gives him a packing list or, or like a what not to pack list, right? So I was saying last night, I was thinking of my mom because we were just talking about this. Um, she, so she's from the Swiss-German side and the German side is very ordered. She ironed, I'm not kidding you, she ironed our underwear. It was like everything was just like this. So when she packed for a trip, like when they were going back to see the relatives in Switzerland, she had her suitcase out for like a month before the trip. I'm thinking two hours before, I better think about packing, right? Not my mom. So this isn't like life's packing list, and here's what you don't bring. And, and, and you can see it here in verse 4, right? He, he says, don't bring a purse. Don't bring money. Don't, don't bring a bag. Maybe that's to hold your food. Or an extra set of sandals. Don't bring those things. Back in chapter 9, verse 4, he says, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra clothes. Why? Why would Jesus say, now as you go, I'm sending you out to these towns where I'm going to go. Don't bring these things. Why would he say that? Why not bring some extra money? Why not carry the MasterCard just in case? Why not bring the staff just in case there's some kind of wild animal along the way? Why not have an extra set of clothes in case these things wear out, get dirty, start to smell? That's really easy because Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to experience my daily provision that's constant. That if, if you go on this journey packing all the gear that you think you need, you're going to miss out that, that I know what you need. And I care about what you need. And I'm going to provide what you need. So don't take that. Because I want you to experience my great provision. I want you to trust me completely. So traveling light is all about complete dependence upon God, upon Christ. So it made me think about when we were in high school, we'd go up to Devil's Lake and we'd go rock climbing. And my best friend Todd, his brother John, and his friend Dave started this outreach expeditions. They would take youth groups up there and we'd help out. And I remember the first time they took our youth group from Winneka Bible Church up to the Dells and we climbed up the face. I don't know, 7,500 feet. I don't know, it was big for me from the city of Chicago, right? It was a big mountain. So it wasn't a big deal going up. I was tied in and... You know, I did my best not to look down. I'm looking up, and I could do that. Then they said, all right, now we're going to rappel down. So I thought, well, this is kind of cool. I looked at a couple guys. They get this little girdle thing on, and ropes on, and they're jumping off the cliff. And this looks cool. This looks easy until it got on me. And they said, so just start backing up. I'm going, well, what do you mean backing up? And you're doing one of these things. And I'm thinking, this is not like that trust fall. Have you ever done one of those team building things? Sorry, if you run those things, that's cool. But they've always been dorky to me. But anyways, so, you know, you're up all of two feet high on the log. And they say, close your eyes. And, and then just lean back. You know, and there's 82 people ready to catch you. Big deal. I'm looking down 100 feet going, if these dudes don't hang on to me, it's over. I'm going to be a pancake here. They said, just trust me. 
Trust me. Well, so you're, you know, you, you're roped in. You do this belay on, on belay, all this. There's lingo, you know. And then you're, you're getting back. And I realize I've got control of my weight. i got control of my weight. Now, I, I can't go back any further. Now I, what I have to do is I've got to start leaning. And there's a point, there's a tipping point, right, where all of a sudden you no longer have control of that weight. It's all now on the rope. Oh, my word. And that's what he was saying. All the way back. Lean into me all the way. Put all of your weight, all of your life in my hands. Trust me. Travel together, travel light. There's a second set of instructions. Stay focused and balanced. Look over at verse 9. It's kind of an interesting thing, kind of an interesting instruction. Um, he says, well, actually, it's, it's up even before that. He talks about, hey, look, when you're, when you're on the way, I don't want you to stop and talk to people, right? I, I don't want you to do that. So don't get distracted. So you're not to the town yet. You're not to this place of ministry yet. But what, what I want you to understand is you've got to stay focused. There's a sense of urgency here. There's also a very clear sense of balance here. And the balance has to do with, hey, when you get into this house and you start to eat the meal and you start to do ministry, understand it's going to require healing. And when you heal someone, help them connect the dots, that that miracle of healing is just part of the story of God's kingdom coming into bear, coming into reality. That Christ the King is here. His mission is to restore all things, to bring the year of the Lord's favor, his, his promised blessings, the hope of the, of the Old Testament promises into reality. And so I want you to do good, and I want you to share the good news. There's balance, and that's tricky. It's easy, number one, to get distracted along the way. It's easy to bounce from thing to thing. He said, don't do that house to house thing. Just settle in. And it's easy to go to either, hey, I'm a really good mercy giver or, hey, I'm really good at giving the clear message. And he says, it's both. It's both. You and I have a default. When you go through this next week, you're going to be good at one of those two things. You're going to be good at and, and lean more towards, hey, I'm, I'm a bold witness for Christ. And wherever I get a chance, I'm telling people about Jesus. And some of us are going, who man, mm, that's really hard for me. But you know what? Being kind and being nice and being sensitive where people are at and the needs that they have and reaching out with mercy to people who are in a tough spot, I'm good. I'm comfortable there. But we need to bring the two together. Because here's the deal. Man, there's a lot of nice, moral people who are doing kind things to people. And that's a great thing. But these people need to hear about Jesus. And just being a nice person to them doesn't help them understand that they need Jesus in their life. They need to hear that, not just see that. And there's a whole bunch of people here that hear the message, and man, they're bleeding. And they don't need to hear it. They need to experience the good news of the kingdom expressed through you. Not just your words, but your life. So I love how Paul puts it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, that we were willing to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. Powerful verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. So stay focused, stay balanced, share the whole gospel. There's a third set of instructions. And it's this simple thing. 
Remember this tagline. It's not about you. Ministry. It's not about you. It's not about me. Say that. It's not about me. Oh, man, I wish I would remember that more often. And here's when you know we've made it about us. Is when somebody criticizes the ministry that you're in. So here's a little disclosure. All in. I mean, come on, we're chasing our vision to be a Christ-centered church for all people where the gospel is continually transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. How could anybody have a problem with that? Well, it turns out lots of people have problems with that. Why are we spending so much money on a building? Why do we have to sign our name on a card? Why do we have to play? I mean, all these things. And you know what? You're working really hard to get this vision right with the leaders, to communicate it clearly, to get people excited, and then people start... And it's really easy for me or for any of us in that situation to go, oh, oh, man, I feel like you're, 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 you're doing it to me. You see, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it becomes very personal. Jesus said, hey, hey, when they listen to you, who are they listening to? They're listening to me, Jesus says. And, and when they reject you, this is really important. Who are they rejecting? He says, they're rejecting me and the Father who sent me. So don't make ministry about you. You make ministry about you, you are going to ride this like crazy. And you're going to have some highs and some lows. Highs that you shouldn't have and lows that you shouldn't have. Don't make it about you. I think there's great application to parenting, which is a very personal kind of ministry. Very great application to how we respond, to how our kids are responding, to our loving leadership we pray in their life, pointing them to Jesus. Don't make it about you. So the instructions are very clear, right? Travel together, travel light, stay focused, stay balanced. Remember, ministry's not about me. All right. So now he gets into this whole thing of expectations. And I love that Jesus gives clear expectations to his followers. Having clear expectations is really helpful. So I'll use the illustration of freshman year in college. I was doing a Bible degree and I started Greek. My teacher was Dr. John Piper, first day of class. He says, class, and he goes to the whiteboard, and he says, we're all up here. I'm, I'm going to diagram what Greek is going to be like this first semester. We're all up here. Going, all right, here we go. And he says, in two weeks, we're going to all be down here. Well, it took me two hours to get down there. What do you mean two weeks? So he says, you're going to feel great about it because we're, we're in Greek. We're going to learn Greek. And in about two weeks, you're going to go, I don't know anything about Greek. I'm never going to learn anything about Greek. And I'm ready to quit Greek. He says, just expect that you're going to be down here. And he says, over time now, through the semester, we're going to slowly, slowly move up as he's drawn this slow ascending line. That was really helpful. Because if he hadn't have said that, I might have thought, I'm the only dummy in the class, and I ought to drop this class because I'm never going to get it. Expectations are really important. And Jesus gives clear expectations that we should have as followers of Christ. And I'm going to go back to that first kind of duh basic one. And that is expect to be sent. If you're a follower of Christ, expect to be sent. And, and here's what I want to do with this. Your life right now. A lot of us are defining our lives right now by the word stuck. I'm stuck here. I'm stuck in this relationship. I'm stuck in this degree program. I'm stuck in this job. I'm stuck in this financial predicament. I'm stuck with these health complications. I am stuck. 
And we so desperately want to get unstuck and change our circumstances that we don't actually see that God has actually sent us to this place that we now define as stuck. Is there a word of stuckness? There is now. We define our reality as stuckness. And this text reminds me, it reminds us, actually, I'm sent here. There are people here in my stuckness that God wants me to serve. This is transformative as we enter this week tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm being sent to these places with the good news of God's love. All right, here's another one. Expect a harvest. I, I kind of thought if I would have written this, Jesus would have said, pray for a harvest and thank God that there's tons of workers. But it's exactly the opposite. He says, there is a harvest, but the deal is there's more harvest than there are workers. And so pray to the Lord of the harvest because, oh, hello, the Lord of the harvest means that's what God does. Our job is to go gather the fruit and there's a shortage. So expect harvest whenever you're sent. I, I think it's easy to go, oh, they're not going to want, they're not going to, they're not going to, I mean, I live in Madison. They're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to respond. Jesus says, why are you thinking that? I'm the Lord of the harvest. I get to places you'll never be able to get, the human heart. And there's all kinds of people in your world and mine that I'm preparing to put their faith and trust and enter this adventure of a relationship with me. Expect a harvest. And expect that there's always going to be a shortage of workers. There's always going to be a shortage. So pray. There's another thing to expect. Expect Reception and rejection. Don't be surprised by the fight. And don't be surprised by victory. Don't be surprised that the work of Christ will be opposed. And don't be surprised when there is victory. Jesus says, I'm building my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can hold back the advance of Christ's mission in this world. But expect that there is an enemy. He tells them there's an enemy in John chapter 10. He said he's like a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And he does all of that, deceiving, dividing us, accusing us, trying to get us out of the game. But John, Jesus' closest friend, says, but greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, than he that's in the world. Expect these things. Don't be surprised when you hear, like I heard this week, that the the, the vehement rant against the cross by ISIS. Don't let that surprise you. Don't, don't, don't get into this Western mindset where your worldview doesn't have evil in it. Jesus says there is an evil enemy. There are demons. There are spiritual forces at work that transcend the physical world that you and I live in. Understand that. Expect opposition. But don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. My authority and my power is greater still. These are the things that we're to expect. And so they go out and they have an amazing, amazing mission trip. We don't get all the details, but the high point probably is recorded here in verse 17. The 72 return with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Oh, my word. We had lots of opportunities to extend your blessing we probably had a few instances where they reject us and we did the old warning through the shaking of the metaphor of shaking the dust off the sandals. But 
there were some powerful things that happened. We even saw demons submit. We saw people being freed up from these oppressive, oppressive demons that were uh, infirming them and causing all kinds of grief to parents with their kids. Maybe like this kid back in chapter 9 of whom the, the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. But they said, we saw demons submit. And so here's the surprise. Is Jesus' reply, the perspective he gives to their report, and then this just huge thing for us to remember as we do ministry together for Christ. So look at 18. So they just said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. It's like, this is awesome. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's some serious power encounters. And we see your power is greater. Jesus replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Yep, you, you did have authority and power to even have demons submit. And I saw Satan fall. It's just this, this metaphor that goes back to Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, of, of Satan falling out of heaven, being judged by God. Yep. Satan is a defeated enemy. I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given, and here's why, I've given you authority to trample on dangerous things like snakes and scorpions, to overcome powerful things, right? To overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, here's the surprise. Do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he's not, he's not shiding them by saying, hey, guys, I, knock it off. You shouldn't be happy. You shouldn't be excited about what's it. Of course, he's glad that they've had a taste of ministry, that they've had a taste of trusting him, that they've had a taste of his power coursing through them. But he doesn't want their joy to rest in that. There's a greater joy that he points to. That it doesn't matter whether you win or lose in the fight. It doesn't matter if you've been really good about trusting God for everything or not. It doesn't depend upon, have I been focused or have I been distracted? It doesn't have any dependence upon that. Your joy is in God's grace, whereby he calls us his children. Your name is in heaven, written in heaven. And it's not like with whiteboard marker that you can easily erase. This is like permanent ink. This is like the Sharpie stuff and you can't get it off. It's there, and it's there because of my grace. It's there because of who I am. Nobody can snatch those the Father has given me from my hands, chapter 10 of John, he says. That's your greater joy. And I find that my great joy often is what I'm doing for God. He says, don't find your joy in what you're doing for God. It's not like you can't have joy in that, but don't let that be your ultimate joy, the greater joy. He says, your greater joy has got to be in your relationship, not your performance for God, your relationship with God that is based not on your performance, but on Christ's performance and your faith in that. It's not about power and experiencing that buzz of, whoa, are you kidding me? I've actually had a face-to-face how do you say that? I've had a personal encounter with casting out a demon back in Wheaton. Holy cow, was that freaky. And, and you know, you, you get in this thing where you're, you're seeing the power of Christ that is greater over any other power in this world. He says, don't, 
don't, don't get, don't lose perspective. The power coursing through you is a great and beautiful thing. But there's, there's even a greater thing that ought to be the, the capstone, ought to be the foundation of your joy. And that is God's power in you that has transformed you into his follower, into his child. Your name's written in heaven. And why is it written in heaven? Well, he goes and says right here. Because that's a key question then as a follow-up. So how do I know if my name's written in heaven? So what does he say? In his prayer, verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, he's praying here, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven. He's praying to the Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. He's using this metaphor of his disciples who have comprehended the grace of God and, and this relationship by God's grace through faith in Christ as little children, kind of almost ignorant compared to these wise, learned people. You have revealed them. That's how they know these things. That's how we come. It's God's revelation. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. It's God's good pleasure. It's his grace that he's revealed. Verse 22 says the way he's revealed himself to us is through his son. And the experience we have with Christ today means we are privileged because there's a whole bunch of people in the Old Testament that were just wondering about it, thinking about it, long to see and hear about this coming promised Savior. You guys are so blessed, he says. And how much more we, as we have now the Spirit of Christ within us, bearing witness to this fact that we belong to Jesus. So you go, well, how can you know that? I remember so often asking this question, if you were to die tonight in a car accident, would you know for sure that you're going to heaven? I'm telling you, almost half the people would say, nobody can know that. Nobody can know that. That's really interesting. John, at the end of his, of his, uh, of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 31, says, these things were written, I wrote you this gospel so that you know that Jesus is the Messiah. That you'd understand and connect the dots. That Jesus is this promised Savior of the Old Testament. And that in believing in him, you might have life. And as John's defining life, it's eternal. It's abundant. It goes on with God. That's why I wrote these things. Jesus says this in John 6, 47. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. What does it take to have your name written in heaven according to John 6, 47? What's the key word there? Believe. It's faith. It's faith. Man, this is a great day for you. You walk in here you go, I didn't know you could know. You could hit the pillow tonight going, are you kidding me? I could know these things? And it's not like fire insurance. It's not like the stuff of, well, man, it's good to have that life insurance policy going on. Glad that future thing. No, that's about life today, abundant and free. So I, know, I want us to wrestle with, so where's our greater joy right now? Is it what we're doing for him? What other people are doing for us? Or fundamentally, that I'm in relationship with the living God by his grace. And it doesn't matter what, where life's going. That's constant. That doesn't change. Whoa. Man, if we could tap into that reality. Each and every moment of life, how things would change. So where's a greater joy? And I want to know, where are we at? Go back, to, go back to the cliff. Like, are... are are we anywhere near leaning back and putting the weight all on Jesus' hands? What's the percentage? Is it 100%? It's all on the rope right now. It's all in his hands. Is it like, 
Well, I've kind of sorted out. He's got most things in my life, but there's a few things I'm holding back. Well, that's good to know. Where are we stuck? So this week, expect to find fruit and go together. Don't do this on your own. Get in a group. Get in relationship. Get in community. And let's move forward and let's see this truth bear out that the fields are white unto harvest. That's true in Madison. That's true in Monrovia. And that's true anywhere in between because of who Jesus is and who God is. Let's pray. Father, thanks for chasing after us. Thanks for entrusting to us that which matters for eternity. That means there isn't anybody here who has a purposeless existence. There isn't anybody here who can't know their eternal destiny. There isn't anyone here that couldn't have a relationship with you. There isn't anybody here who couldn't experience the greater joy because it's a gift that is ours through faith. Grant faith, strengthen faith. May us be, make us disciples, Lord, who are on the go, honoring you, pointing people to you, balanced. And may we be people, dear God, who love you with our whole hearts and see others love you like that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.